Well, good morning. It's really good to see all of you guys here with us this morning. If I haven't had a chance to, to meet you yet, my name's Brian. I'm one of the pastors here, and I'm excited today as we kick off a new series all about the family. You know, as we do this church thing that, that we do all the time, and as we interact one with each other, um, and a, a lot of the, the conflict and the stressors and some of the issues that we bump up against in life often come from those that are closest to us because the reality is that none of us are perfect. You put a bunch of imperfect people together in a family, guess what you get? You get an imperfect family. And that's what we're going to talk about for the next six weeks. It's a six-week message series going to correspond with a six-week connect group session. You should absolutely be in one of our groups because the stuff that we talk about in here today, we're going to flesh out even further in our groups throughout the week. If you're not in a group, you need to be in a group. I think it's going to make for some really awesome conversation. I'm kind of looking forward to going to connect groups so I can hear how jacked up other people's family are so I can feel better about my jacked up family, right? Isn't that all of us? Like all of us live in a family that's imperfect and sometimes it just, you feel like you're the only one and my family, no, there's no way anybody else's family is as bad as mine. It's just not true. They're all messed up just in different ways, right? And so that's what we're going to talk about. We're going to talk about in this series how to find some hope for your home, some hope for your family because all of them are imperfect. Now, since we're going to be talking about home, I felt like we should define it, like we should give a couple, because home can mean a lot of different things depending on the context that you use it in. And, and so I thought I would, I would define it for us um, because home is where you are, where you are right now. Sometimes when we talk about home, we talk about going back home, right? Like home is where I came from. Home is where I used to live. And if you moved out of state, you know, maybe going back home to visit family is, is something you would say. But for, for the purposes of our time together, we're, we're going to define home as where you are right now, even if it's a temporary season for you, uh, uh, staying away at college or, um, you know, uh, maybe you had to move back in with your parents. My wife and I had to do that a couple years ago, and home for us for a couple of years was living with mom and dad. That was fun. Uh, they're great, but it's really hard to go home again, right? But, but home for us was there, so home is wherever you are right now. Maybe if you're listening to this on the podcast, maybe home for you might even be a, a prison cell. Right, that could be home for you, though temporary. Maybe it's away at college. Maybe it's at home still with your parents preparing to move out or whatever. Wherever you are right now, that is home. That's what we're going to talk about. When we say home, we're talking about your situation right now, whether you're single, married, kids, no kids, whatever it is, home is where you are right now. But home also is where you've been. Because the reality is that home impacts us, how we grew up and the environment that we were in uh, during our growing up and formative years, all of those things. Home is where you've been. Uh, because home affects the way that we think about the world, the way that we view life. Um, it, it impacts our political views, what we think about gender roles, what we consider to be wrong and right, and all of those other types of things. And it's almost like this because your home has a culture to it. But whether you knew that or not, every home has a culture. We'll dig into this in just a little bit more in a few minutes. But every home has a culture. And culture is something that you don't even realize is going on around you. Almost like, think about it like this. Does a fish really know that it's in water? Or is that just all that it's ever known and so it doesn't realize that it's in water? You know what I mean? Culture is just all around us. It surrounds us. And we have no way to identify exactly what it is. Some things that influence culture 
and our environment around us, let me give you a picture of how culture might affect you and you didn't even realize it. Let me ask you this question. You ready? Why is it manly to cook outdoors but not indoors? You ever thought about that? Like if you're the grill master, you are the dude of dudes, right? But bring you in and bake a cake and now all of a sudden you're a sissy. How, how does that work? It's culture. That's how culture works. And whether you realize it or not, what is true for every home, for each and every one of us, is this. That our home shapes us in profound ways. Your home shapes you in a way that you might not even be able to process. And when our home culture is affected... When, when, when there's something wrong at home, when, when something is not right at home, it, it impacts and affects everything else, right? Doesn't it? When, when stuff isn't right at home, it just it, it messes with you. And the question that we're often presented with is, is there any hope for me and for my home and for my family? Maybe you're going through that stage right now where you're trying to parent a teenager or teenagers, God bless you, for some of y'all. Right, and you're trying to figure out how to navigate this difficult world of them trying to find an identity. Or maybe, maybe it's the terrible twos or the three-nager, right? And you're trying to figure out this, this parenting thing or, or maybe it's more serious. Maybe your spouse recently came to you and you had a conversation and, and they've put divorce as an option on the table. And you find yourself asking the question, is there any hope for my family? Is there any hope for my imperfect home? The good news is that there is. Because we serve a God that is in the, the, the business of redemption and restoration. And he's not going to go and erase everything that, that happened. And he's not going to just take it all away and make you forget or whatever. But he is in the process and in, and in the business of redemption and restoration. And that means when we serve a God who is a God of hope, that we can always have hope for a better tomorrow when we serve a God that's already there. He's already in the tomorrow and he's already in what's ahead. And as we trust and begin to follow him, there is hope for our home because we serve a God in whom we can't hope. And so my, my desire for this series is for us to understand the impact that our family has on us and the hope that's available to us as we try to answer the question of what it would look like to have a home centered on Christ. Like, what would that look like? If we were to take this, this picture of Christ and the teachings of Christ and the model of Christ and to make our family try to look as much like that as possible. Because here's why this is important. Because it doesn't just affect your family now. In the same way that you were impacted and affected by where you've been because home is where you've been, right? In the same way that your home culture has affected your family now, your culture of your home right now is going to affect generations to come. So I believe that if we can get a good understanding of what a Christ-centered home culture looks like, that it can not only affect our families for the positive now, but it can impact generations to come positive. That's why we wanted to do this series. And we want to give you some handles and some practical ways to, to better live and to better run your family. Because we want to impact those home cultures. Because whether you realize it or not, your home has a culture. 
I was thinking about this um, as preparing for, for this series and how every home has a culture. And I was trying to think of an illustration. And I had one, and then I came up with a better one. So here, here you go. You ready for this? Uh, I, my last name is Duncan. For those of you that don't know me, my last name's Duncan. I come from a family with last names of Duncans. Uh, here's what you got to know about Duncans. Um, we are loud people. And we are, in conversation, we are interrupters. Meaning that one person doesn't stop talking before another person begins talking. Right? That's just, it's, it's a flaw. But it's how we are. If you're going to love us, if you're going to be around us, just know from time to time, if you're having a conversation and you begin to speak, there's a really good chance. I'm going to cut you off. Because uh, that's just how, so Christmas for us is amazing. It is nonstop talking at loud volumes for hours on end. And what's really hilarious, the best part, the best part about the Duncan Christmas culture is watching somebody who's not a Duncan walk into that culture who doesn't like to speak very much. That is my wife. Uh, we've been married now for 18 years, dated for a couple years before that. And it was so amazing to watch my wife come over for Christmas with the Duncans and my dad and my two uncles and me, we're all just jabbering away and cutting each other off and one sentence doesn't stop before the other one begins. And then at some point during this massive conversation, all of us will stop talking, look at my wife Erin and go, boy, you're awfully quiet, why aren't you talking, right? And she's going, I don't even know where to get a word in edgewise. So she's been living that for like 20 years now. And just a couple of years, years ago, my, my cousin uh, Patrick brought over his girlfriend, and she's a lot like my wife. And it was so funny to watch Aaron just put her hand on Kristen's shoulder and be like, you'll get used to it. That's just how they are. That's a home culture. It's what you grow up in, and every home has a culture. So how do we develop a good, healthy home culture that centers on the image and the picture and the model of Christ? That's what I want to talk about today. It's kind of a, this, this message is kind of an overview for, for what a family looks like. I want, to give you, I want to give you two wrong approaches to, have, to how to have a healthy home culture, and then I want to give you the right approach. So two wrong ones first, and then a right one if you're taking notes. Here's the first wrong way. Here, the first wrong approach is abdication. Abdication. Kind of a weird word, not a word that we throw around a lot in common everyday lingo, so let me define it for you. Abdication is just a failure to fulfill a responsibility. It's failure to, to fulfill a responsibility that, that you are responsible for. When we, when we talk about abdication as it pertains to determining a home culture, this is our failure to set the culture of our home. Again, every home has culture. Your home has a culture. And every healthy home culture never happens by accident. You can write that down. A healthy home culture never happens by accident. And if our goal is to have a healthy home culture, a Christ-centered home culture, it isn't going to happen just because we come to church a few times. And it isn't going to happen just because we, we, we pray once or twice. We read you know, that one chapter in the Bible. A healthy home culture is something that we have to be really intentional about setting. Because it never happens by accident. And if our goal is to do so, then we have to be very careful into making sure that we're setting the type of culture that we want. Paul said it like this. Ephesians chapter 5, verses 15 and 16. Paul said... Therefore, be very careful 
how you live. Not as unwise, but as wise, taking advantage of every opportunity because the days are evil. Here's what Paul was trying to get across. Culture is like a river with a really strong current. And if you get into the river of culture and you just kind of pick your feet up, then the current of culture is going to take you wherever it wants you to go instead of where you want to be. That's why he tells us to be very careful how we live. What this means for us, if I could talk to, to parents just for a minute. Parents, this means that we don't get to abdicate our responsibility to parent our children well. And what I see oftentimes is a lot of us are getting it right in a lot of areas, but not so right in, in the other areas because they make us uncomfortable. Let me give you an example. Perhaps you are really good at setting the culture of, of your home of the value of hard work and the value of good manners, but you've kind of abdicated the responsibility when it comes to topics of things that are uncomfortable like sex. Right? Because those are difficult conversations. And they're, they're awkward for you, but here's, here's what I challenge you to do is don't let the fact that it's uncomfortable be the permission you need to not do it at all, not to have that conversation, not to abdicate your responsibility to parent your children through the topic and the matters and the, the issues related to, to, to sex. I, I found this statistic this week, and I found this alarming because if you're like me as a parent, you think, oh, well, they're just not really ready for that conversation yet. I've got a, I, got a, a, I almost said 11. She just turned 12 this week. I got a 12-year-old and a 9-year-old. At home, and, and I'm thinking, oh, 12 and 9, they're still sweet and innocent, and, and they don't know anything of this stuff. I don't want to introduce something to them that they don't know anything about. And, and then I found this statistic this week. Did you, did you know that the average age that a child first views a pornographic image is age 8? That's a, that's a third grader, y'all. The average age where they see their first image of something sexually explicit is age eight. And I feel like we've, we've done a disservice to, to our families because it's uncomfortable for us parents who want to talk about that kind of stuff. Or maybe we feel like because, well, I did it. How, who am I to tell them they shouldn't do it when I did it? All cars, can, I be, can I be mean and kind of honest for a minute? That's a horrible parenting strategy. That's a horrible parent. Just because you did it doesn't mean that you, should, that you have no authority to ask your children not to do it. That is not the grounds for how you parent. Lord, I don't want my kids doing half the stuff I did as a kid. Right? I want them to stay away from all of that stuff. I can't believe I survived. Right? I, I don't get to abdicate my responsibility to parent them just because I was guilty of something too. That is a horrible parenting strategy. Don't abdicate your responsibility to have even the tough conversations with your kids. Second thing, parents, still on parents, I'm, I'm passionate about this. Parents, don't abdicate your responsibility to lead your kids spiritually. Don't abdicate that to the church. Like, I'll just take them to church, let them fix them. Look, we get about an hour with them a week. That is no way in the world able to compete with all of the influences they have all the week. It's got to be you. Parents, you are the number one influencer of your children. You can't abdicate that responsibility to someone else. Because here's the truth of the matter. If our Christianity isn't affecting the culture of our home, then what good is it? But what good is it to, to be a, a Christ follower if the things that we say are important to us don't make it and translate into our home? This is serious for us. We can't abdicate our responsibility. 
Now, here at the church, man, we want to partner with you. We want to put tools in your hands. We want to help you. We want to teach and work with your kids. We want you to be in a connect group. And I think connect groups are vital to helping you establish a healthy home culture because when I can't figure it out, I need those friends that are close enough for me to go to and to talk to them. But we have to be We have to be very, very intentional with setting the culture of our home. Because if you don't set it, culture is going to set it for you. The current of culture will always take you where it wants to go, whether that's where you want to go or not. That's wrong approach number one. Wrong approach number two, isolation. So wrong approach number one, abdication. Number two is isolation. This is the protective Christian bubble. Not quite as popular now as it was in like the late 80s, early 90s, but it's still out there in places. This is the idea that, okay, because culture is bad, I'm just going to huddle my family into this little protective Christian bubble. We'll only eat at Chick-fil-A and shop at Hobby Lobby and then fast on Sunday because they're both closed, right? (laughs) We won't watch TV. We won't read books other than the Bible. We're just our own little Christian huddle bubble protecting us. Here's the problem with that. Here's the problem with with the isolation approach to setting a healthy home culture. Because your biggest problem is not external but internal. Your biggest problem with evil is not what is outside of you but what is inside of you. Jesus encountered uh, this way of thinking uh, in in his day and addressed it. And So we'll look at that. But here's what's going on, a quick kind of catch up what's going on. Uh, the, the Pharisees, the, the, the religious leaders of Jesus' day, had this mentality that something dirty on the outside, if you touched it or ate it or whatever, would make you dirty on the inside. That somehow external things made you internally, spiritually unclean. That dirty things outside would make you dirty on the inside. So they had like these really, really strict hand-washing policies, which I just think is kind of funny. But they had these, these policies where you, you had to, to wash your hands before you ate, and there was a ceremony thing that you had to do in order to do it correctly. There was a right way and a wrong way to wash your hands. And then Jesus' disciples, as he was teaching them and working with them, he kind of said that's not really as important as people think it is, so they just stopped doing it all together. And this really aggravated the Pharisees. So this was the interaction between them and Jesus. He said, the Pharisees, Mark chapter 7, verse 5, and the experts in the law asked him, him being Jesus, Why do your disciples not live according to the tradition of the elders, but eat with unwashed hands? Jump down to verse 14. He called the crowd again and said to them, listen to me, everyone, and understand. There is nothing outside of a person that can defile him by going into him. Rather, it is what comes out of a person that defiles him. For from within, out of the human heart, comes evil ideas. Sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, greed, evil, deceit, debauchery, envy, slander, slander, pride, and folly. All these evils come from within and defile a person. Here's what that means. That if you were to move to a, to a distant remote island, toss your cell phone into the ocean on your way in, and just you and your family live there forever, you would still be evil. Because evil comes from, with, from within us. So we have to abandon the, the, the line of thinking that isolating ourselves from everything that we believe to be evil in culture somehow insulates us from evil. But when the truth of the matter is that the evil comes from within us, not from 
without us. That's not even how you say that phrase, but you get what I'm saying. It doesn't come from outside of us. It comes from the inside of us. So the goal is not to isolate ourselves from culture, but to have a, a culture at home that's healthy enough to overcome that which is outside of my home. So the second way that we tend to do this is to say, well, I'm not just going to isolate myself into my own little Christian bubble home, but I'm only going to go to church functions. Like I'm only just going to hang out with church people and Christian people. And those are going to be the only people that I spend any time with because at least then I got a better chance of protecting myself from evil. Truth is matter is they got evil hearts too. But anyway, that's another story for another day. But that's, that's a little bit better as, as it pertains to isolation, but still not what's right or what's even asked of us as it pertains to culture. Jesus never told us to kind of get in our little Christian huddle and not leave us forward no more. Let's just, uh, we'll build a Christian village, right? We'll all buy, we'll buy a big piece of property and then all the people of Fusion City Church will move to a compound. That's a cult. We're not going for that, all right? Not what we're looking for. That's something completely different. And not at all what the Bible has in mind for us. There's a story in, in the book of Jeremiah I'm short on time. I'm trying to hurry. Uh, there's a story in the book of Jeremiah, right, where he's telling all the people, hey, one day the capital of Jerusalem is going to fall to the Babylonians. They're going to come in and take us. They didn't like what he had to say. They beat him up, got mad at Jeremiah for telling them that they were going to be overthrown. And then one day, sure enough, they're overthrown. King Nebuchadnezzar comes in, conquers the city, takes all of the people from Jerusalem back to Babylon. So now they are foreigners living in a place with a, with a culture, with a God-loving, God-fearing culture in a place that doesn't recognize or honor God. That sounds a little bit like American Christianity right now, doesn't it, right? I'm starting to feel less and less at home as a Christian in the own country that I live. And here's what Jeremiah tells the exiles living in Babylon about how they are to live, even being foreigners in the country where they are. He says this, Jeremiah chapter 29, verse 7. He says, work to see that the city where I sent you as exiles enjoys peace and prosperity. Pray to the Lord for it. For as it prospers, you will prosper. Here's what he's saying. You need to engage culture, not pull back from it. That as Christians, we should have such a healthy home culture at home that when we get outside of our home, we don't succumb to the pressures and current of culture outside of us. That we should willingly engage the culture outside of our home. Because here's the truth. Here's the truth. When we remove ourselves from culture, we lose our capacity to influence culture. Isolation isn't the answer. A very healthy, very strong, Jesus-centered home culture is. Which leads us to the right approach, which is transformation. Transformation. That is God working in and through me. God wants to do something in you. He wants to do something in you. And our Americanized version of Christianity kind of sounds a little bit like this. God, please fix all of my problems. Just leave me out of it. God, fix everything going on around me. Just don't. Don't mess with me too much. I like, I like my life the way it is. I just want you to fix all the problems that I got. And the truth of the matter is that God wants to do something in you so that he can do something through you. If you're taking notes, it would be a great place to write that down. God wants to do something in you so that he can do something through you. This is kind of what happened with, with Abraham. It Does, doesn't directly apply because none of us are going to be the father of 
all the Christians on the face of the planet. But the principle applies. And here's what's going on. God forms a covenant with Abraham. He promises him that he is going to be the father of many nations, that God is going to bless the world through Abraham. He makes a covenant with him. It sounds like this, Genesis chapter 12, verses 2 and 3. God speaking to Abraham says, Then I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you, and I will make your name great, so that you will exemplify divine blessing. I will bless those who bless you, but the one who treats you lightly I must curse. And all the families of the earth will bless one another by your name. That's what a Jesus-centered home culture looks like. God doing something in us so that we can then go and do something in the world. And he's, as he continues to transform us, we have the power and the potential to transform that which is outside of us. But it has to start in us. Our prayer should be, Lord, let this happen in me. Let it start with me. God, I believe that you want to do something in me so that you can do something through me. That I, you have something that you want to impart to the world. But God, in order for you to get it there, you got to get it into me first. And this isn't God, fix my problems and leave me out of it. This is God, let it start with me. God, I'm a mess. I'm jacked up. I'm imperfect. I need some work. I need some help. Let it start in me. And God, I can't wait to see what that does to my family. See, when it starts with you, it, it trickles out. And the more that God pours into you and it overflows out of you, it pours into and flows into those that are closest to you and then beyond. So isolation is not the answer. Abdication is not the answer. Transformation is the answer. God, let it start in me. And I can't wait to see what it does to the rest of my family. And this isn't something that I get to just speak of because I know it to be true because of what I read in Scripture and what I've experienced in my life. But it's part of my family's story and our legacy. Every Wednesday evening, my brother and his family and, and my family, we go to my mom's house to, to eat dinner every Wednesday. I love it. It's family tradition. We do it every week. And I love the times that I have the ability to reflect. It's not every week. I'm not, I'm not that intuitive. Like, I'm not that aware. Like I, sometimes I'm just there, present but not. But sometimes when, when I look at my mom with her grandkids, my kids and my brother's kids, and I remember her story. Now, a lot of you know my mom. I doubt a whole lot of you know her story. I asked her if I could have permission to share it, and she said I could. Um, but in my mom's past, she, she suffered abuse at the hands of a stepfather, uh, some addictions, some, some abandonment, um, a man who, who abused her and threatened my grandmother if she ever told anybody. Um, that's my mom's past, abuse, addiction, abandonment. That's her story. That's part of her past. And my kids know none of it. You see, we talked about how the home of your past affects your today and it affects you for generations to come. And so very easily all of the pain and suffering that my mother endured could have very easily translated into me, 
and then into my kids, into my niece and my nephew. But it didn't. My kids know nothing of it. My childhood wasn't perfect, just like none of yours was perfect. But it was pretty dang good. And that is a testament to what God has done in my mother and then done through her that now positively affects my family, the home that I grew up in. And now is positively impacting my kids because I had a great example of what it looks like to mother some kids and to parent some kids. She changed the legacy and the trajectory of our family because she allowed God to transform her so that she could then in turn transform the future of generations to come in her family. That's how it works. Yeah, we can, can we get, can we get some love? She's right there. Can I get some love to mom this morning? And as great a woman as she is, it's God working in her and her allowing him to transform her so that she could then transform the culture of her home. And she did it. She pulled it off. And we got a great family atmosphere as a result. See, and if you want to write this down, this is a good takeaway truth. Transformed people transform culture. That's what happened in, in my family. A transformed person transformed the culture of our home that is now transforming the culture of my current home and the, the home of my kids to come. Transformed people transform culture. The reverse is also true. The untransformed people are transformed by culture. So you and I have a decision to make. Are we going to be people who allow God to transform us so that we then positively impact the culture around us? Or are we going to be a people who allow the culture around us to transform and to change us? It's your choice to make. You can abdicate the responsibility. Don't do that. You can isolate yourself, Christian bubble, Chick-fil-A's closed on Sundays. You're going to starve. Or you can be transformed by the power of God working in you to make you a blessing to the world and to the culture around you. It's your choice to make. But you got to make it. So, so maybe as we, as we close right now, as I get ready to pray, maybe, maybe the, the prayer for you, either today, later this week, or, or in this moment right now as I pray, maybe you should pray this. Lord, let it begin in me. God, let it start with me. God, transform me. Maybe you should pray that right now as I pray. Let's pray together. Father, God, we believe that there is hope for our home. We know that our families are imperfect, God. They are flawed, maybe even on the brink of dysfunctional at times. But, God, you are in the the business of restoration. You're in the business of redemption. You have done it since the beginning of the world, starting with Abraham all the way down to us, here several thousand years later. But, God, we know that in order for our home to become a, a home and a family that is centered on Christ, God, it has to start with us. So, God, would you push on to our brain and into our heart and into our spirit in this very moment, God, the responsibility that lays before us to choose the direction and trajectory of our families. God, let it start in us. Transform us into the image of your son, Jesus, that we might then have the power and the capacity to transform and influence culture. 
God, we love you. We're so very grateful for the hope that we can have in a relationship with you through Jesus, your son. It's in his name I pray. Amen.